Well, take your Bibles and turn with me, please. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be there momentarily. I'm going to read some other text for you today as well. This has been a week that's been had severe disappointments. People that we have loved have let us down. We know that all people are sinful and capable of sinful action. But you know, Satan cannot force anyone to sin. He tempts us to sin, and then we can either choose to obey or disobey. And when we choose to disobey, when we sin, we bear the responsibility for our sin. Can't say other people made me do it. The devil made me do it. We have to bear the responsibility for our own sin. Uh, Don and I were talking this week, and I thought, you know, after the tragic events of this past week, I'm convinced that the Lord was the one prompting us to change away from preaching on Isaiah to preaching on spiritual warfare. Let me just share a couple of verses with you before we go into the sermon. And maybe this will help you cope better. First of all, 1 Peter 5, 8. If I were you, <clears throat> I would not only write that verse down, I'd commit it to memory. Peter says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, say that with me. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan is our adversary. He lurks like a lion. He's ready to pounce on anyone who would give in to sin. That gives him spiritual ground upon which he can work. The devil is angry, and he is aggressively on the hunt for anyone who would give him any topos, any ground. Then there's 1 John 4, 4. The devil's on the lurk, but Jesus is Lord. <laughs> 1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let's say that last part together. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. How many of you know that Jesus is greater than the devil? Amen? Amen. Let's give him praise for that. Amen. <clears throat> the last three weeks, we've been studying the fact that we live in two worlds, two realms, if you will a spiritual realm, and a physical realm. The physical realm is obvious. You can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it. That's why it seems so real. But the spirit world, for the most part, the spirit realm is not visible to the human eye. And so it seems like to some people that it's otherworldly, even unreal. And yet, when you look at the physical realm 
and the spiritual realm, the only realm that is going to last through eternity is the spiritual realm. The Bible says this world will pass away. This world and everything in it will soon pass away, but the spirit realm lasts. And it's the spirit world that affects the physical world. Just like what happens in the physical world affects what happens in the spiritual world. This past week reminds me that we're in a war. It's raging in the spirit realm. And that war can either shake your faith in Christ or shape your faith in Christ. I am not going to be shaken. I am going to be shaped by everything that the Lord allows to enter into our lives. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has already defeated Satan and every demon. They are completely under Christ's authority. For some unknown reason, God is allowing them to wreak havoc on earth until the return of Christ. They are stealing, killing, and destroying. But in the end, Satan and every demon will bow before Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord before they are bound and thrown into hell. Two weeks ago, I preached on the Christian warrior. Last week, I preached on shackled souls, the devil's endgame. Today, I want to give us a panoramic view of the spirit world. What are we talking about? What is this realm that you keep talking about, preacher? Let's just take a panoramic 30,000-foot view of the spirit world. Let me just give you a few verses. I could give you dozens, but let me just give you three First of all, Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle. How many of you know that we're in a struggle? Does anybody know that? Sure we are. It's not against flesh and blood. People are not our problem. Say that out loud. People are not our problem. It's what's behind the people. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's our struggle. There it is. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, talking about Jesus, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And then 1 Peter 3.22 who is at the right hand of God, that's Jesus, is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and all powers had been subjected to him. I'm telling you, Jesus is in charge. It's not the devil is against Jesus on the same level. Oh, no, the devil is not even close to the category of where Jesus is. He is high and lifted up, lofty and exalted, and he is Lord. So let's just take a panoramic view. Let's look at four basic aspects of the spirit world. First of all, God is a spiritual being. 
The entire Trinity shows that. The triune God is a spiritual being. First of all, God the Father is a spiritual being. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well from Samaria, he said in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, if there are true worshipers, guess what? There are false worshipers, and you're a false worshiper if you don't worship the Lord Jesus Christ. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. If you're worshiping the Lord today in spirit and in truth, God has already found you. He's looking for people like that. God is spirit. Say that out loud with me. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. If God the Father is spirit, then we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. God the Father is a spiritual being. God the Son is a spiritual being. While Jesus was on this earth, the Bible says in Mark chapter 2 that he healed a paralytic and then, after he healed him, he said, oh, and by the way, your sins are all forgiven. And the Jews, though they didn't say it out loud, thought this in their spirit. And Jesus recognized in his spirit what they were thinking. Somebody says, don't talk too loud around God. I got news for you. Don't think too loud around God. Doesn't have to come out of your mouth for God to know what you're thinking. Mark 2, verse 8, immediately Jesus, aware in his what? Say it out loud. His spirit. That they were reasoning that way with themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Jesus was a spiritual being. The Bible says in Mark chapter 8 that some people were seeking a sign from Christ. Show us a sign and we'll believe in you. Jesus was so disappointed, he sighed, but he didn't just sigh, he sighed in his spirit, Mark 8, verse 12, sighing deeply in his spirit. He said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Why? Jesus was a spiritual being. When Mary, the sister of Martha, wept because of the death of her brother, Lazarus, Jesus was deeply moved, the Bible says in John 11, in his spirit. Verse 33 says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. I'm telling you, Jesus was a physical being, but he was also a spiritual being. And then at his death, at the moment of his death, we see Jesus doing something with his spirit. Luke 23, 16 says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. He died. John, in his gospel, said it this way. In John 19, 30, same instance, incident. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. To tell us die, paid in full. And he bowed and did what? Gave up his what? 
spirit. Nobody took Jesus' life. He gave it up. He let his spirit go. That's all death is. You want to, what is death? I mean, they write, people write books on that. I'll give it to you in one sentence. Death is when your spirit and soul leave your body. Case closed. I, mean, I can figure that out. You go up to somebody that's dead, their spirit and their body, or their spirit and soul have left their body. That's all it is. We are spiritual beings with a body. And when the spirit leaves, we're dead. So Jesus is a spiritual being. And then the Holy Spirit is a spiritual being. First two verses in the Bible tell us that. I love it when God was moving over the waters. You know what he was doing? He was making a cosmos out of the chaos. I heard a guy say that one time. I thought that's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. It was my Old Testament professor in seminary. The Holy Spirit was moving over the waters and he was making cosmos out of chaos. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 at the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface, the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving. How many of you want to see the Spirit of God move today? Amen, I do. Over the surface of the waters. The Holy Spirit is a spiritual being. When Samuel anointed David as king, the Holy Spirit came upon, literally came upon David. First Samuel 16, Samuel took the horn of oil anointed him, David, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David that, from that day forward. And Samuel rose, went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Here you have demons coming on Saul, but the Holy Ghost coming upon David. The Holy Spirit is a spiritual being. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of God came upon him to anoint him for ministry. Matthew 3, 16, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. God, the Holy Spirit is a spiritual being and I'm telling you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a spiritual being. Secondly, man is a spiritual being. And by man, I mean mankind, all of us, men and women, boys and girls, we're all spiritual beings. Man is both spiritual and physical. Man is spiritual and physical. Adam, the first man, had a spirit and a body. As a result, all people have a spirit and a body. Genesis 2, verse 7 then the Lord God formed man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul, literally, a living being, a, little, a living soul. Now the word breath is the word spirit. He breathed into him the breath, the spirit of God. And when he did, he became a spirit with a body. Man is both spiritual and physical. Paul wrote about man's physical body, the outer man, and man's spirit, the inner man. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we don't lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying. How many of you know that the outer man is decaying? Does anybody know that besides me? All right. You can paint it. 
You can comb it. You can wash it. But it's going down the tubes, amen? Doesn't that bless you today? Haven't I blessed you already today? <laughs> Where am I? Okay, there we are. Therefore, we don't lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, here's the good news, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. We're getting better on the inside regardless of what's happening on the outside. Man is both spiritual and physical. Paul said that really we're a trichotomy. What does that mean? I'll show you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, he gives a, a blessing, a benediction. He said, now may the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom, himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body, say that with me, spirit and soul and body. Notice he didn't start with the body. He started with the spirit. We're not so much bodies with a spirit and a soul. We're people with a soul and a spirit that have a body. The body is going to pass away. The spirit and soul are spiritual the body is physical. Man is both spiritual and physical. Man's thoughts are spiritual and mental. Your thoughts are not just mental, they're also spiritual. That's why the devil can put a thought in your mind. He is a spiritual being, and he will put a thought in your mind, and he will wear you out if you entertain that thought. He will wear you out. He loves to do that. He loves to torment people with aberrant, sinful thoughts. It can be anxiety, it can be discouragement, it can be anger, it can be whatever you want to talk about. Look at 1 Corinthians 2 on the screen, verses 11 and following. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. But a natural man, that's a lost man, doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. How many of you know that's true? How many of you know that's true? You start talking about Jesus, you start talking about the things of God to a lost person, they look at you like you're crazy. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, but their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Man's thoughts are spiritual and they're mental. And then man's worship and service to God is spiritual. Man's worship and service to God is spiritual. Let's start with worship. Your worship to the Lord is, must be spiritual. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So our worship has to be spiritual. What, what worship is, is you giving your heart to God and God giving his heart to you. And every time you worship the Lord, there's this interchange of hearts. And it's a spiritual process. Your worship to the Lord must be 
spiritual. And then your service, after you worship, you're to serve the Lord. Your service to the Lord must be spiritual. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, 9 and 10, for God whom I serve in my spirit, Paul says, in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Paul was serving the Lord in preaching the gospel and in praying to the Lord. We must worship and serve the Lord. He did all of that. It's a spiritual manner that we do that in. Then God's spirit speaks to man's spirit. A lot of people don't believe this, but he does. God speaks to our spirits. The Holy Spirit talks to his children. He speaks through the spirit-inspired scriptures. He'll speak through a sermon God spoke to me through the Bible this morning. I'm telling you, gave me a word. I call it a rhema from the Lagos. He gave me a living word this morning. And I'm telling you, when, that, when God does that, it's like your heart is burning. It's like God's just giving you a word from his word. And I thank God for that. But I also want to tell you that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And just like he directed people in the Bible, he can give you promptings and direct you as well. Let me give you a few of my favorite verses on this. Isaiah 30, 21. Hands down, my favorite verse on this. Your ears spiritually will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or the left. Who is that talking? The Holy Spirit. This is the way. God's got a specific will for your life. It's perfect. It must be specific. God will say, this is the way. I want you to go left or right. I'll tell you what to do if you'll listen to me. That's one of the things I pray every day. God, give me ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Give me ears to hear. Spiritual is. Acts 8, 29. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. The Ethiopian eunuch was coming by. There were chariots coming by, but God only said, go up to one of them. And he heard in his spirit a prompting from God. And he did it, led the man to the Lord. If you go to Israel nowadays, there are Ethiopian Christians who come to Jerusalem all the time. And I believe they started with this one man. Then there's Acts chapter 17, 16, when Paul was waiting for his brothers at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he observed, was observing the city full of idols. God was stirring in his heart. And if you follow that in Acts 6, 17, he preached to the philosophers there in Athens. And Paul says in Romans 8, 14 and 16, we're talking about God's spirit speaks to man's spirit. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Let's all say that together. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, God speaks primarily through Scripture, but there are times He will prompt you in your spirit, and it will never be against Scripture. 
Don't you come and tell me that God told you to do something that the Bible says is sinful. You're not hearing God. You're hearing the Spirit, but not the Spirit of the Lord. Everything God says to you prompting-wise, and, and don't we need that? We talk about how, you know, don't we need to know who we're supposed to marry? Don't we need to know where we're supposed to work? Don't we need to know where we're supposed to go to school? Don't we need to know sometimes as married folks how to get along with the other person in the house with us? You can say amen, it's okay. Don't, don't we need to know some things sometimes? We need to know whether we should do this or don't do this. How do we know that? The Holy Ghost in us will talk. God is a talker. Amen. And he speaks to our spirit. Man is a spiritual being. Number three, angels are spiritual beings. Angels are spiritual beings. Did you know that angels existed before man? I'll ask these folks back here. I'll be right back. <laughs> Same group. <laughs> Did y'all know that angels existed before man? Don't say a word. I'm a, they won't answer me. Would somebody answer me? Did you know that angels existed before men? Yes. Thank you. I thought we'd just carry on a conversation if you'd like to. Job chapter 38, God is speaking. Job saying, why? Why did my kids die? I, if I had 10 kids died, I'd, I'd want to know. Why did I get sick? Why did my friends turn against me? Why did my wife tell me to curse you? And die. I didn't do it. But why is this going on? Why? Anybody ever ask that? God basically said, that's out of your class, big boy. There's some things you can't figure out, but you just trust me. And he said to Joe, where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth, I don't remember talking to you about that. I don't remember asking your opinion about that. I don't remember getting advice for you about where I should put the layers and all that. Where were you when I laid the foundation? Tell me if you have understanding. Who said its measures? Since you know, that is, since you know so much, Joe. Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars, that's angels, sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Were you there, Job, when my angels worshipped me when I created the cosmos? No, you. It's a rhetorical question. No, you weren't. But my angels, before, you, before I even thought about Adam, my angels were already there. Angels existed before man. And angels worship God. Isaiah 6, 1 through 4. 
in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. In the year that the throne was empty on the earth, the throne in heaven was occupied. In the year that man died, God was still alive and large and in charge. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty, exalted, high, and lifted up. The train of his robe was filling the temple, and he wasn't by himself. Seraphim stood around him and above him, each having six wings. You know what they did? With two, they'd cover their face. He's so holy, even the angels can't look at him straight on. And with two, he covered his feet. Why? He's on holy ground. That's why they did it. They covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called out and said to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when that came one way, it came back the other way from the other group. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. I'm telling you, angels know how to worship God. Let's give him praise. Amen. And you better, hey. You better figure it out before you get to heaven. If a little shouting down here bothers you, you're not going to enjoy heaven. In fact, if you really don't like all that, maybe that won't be your destination. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, who wert and art and evermore shall be. I'm telling you, angels worship the Lord. And you know what? They hadn't been redeemed. If they can worship him, I sure ought to be able to worship him because he saved my soul and redeemed me and forgave me for all of my sins. Amen. <laughs> Praise the living God. But they don't just worship God. They worship they serve God and help man. Oh, I love this. Hebrews 1, 14 says, but angels are only servants. They are spirits sent from God to care for those who will receive salvation. Angels are spiritual servants sent by God to help Christians. There is no telling how many times God has sent an angel to Help and protect you along the way. There is no way, no way for you to count that. <clears throat> Angels ministered to Jesus when he fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. Matthew 4.11, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. When Zacharias, the Levitical priest, wouldn't listen to Gabriel the angel about his wife. They were both aged, becoming pregnant with John the Baptist. We read in Luke 1:19, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I'm telling you, 
angels serve God and help man. And how about Peter? Remember him? Acts 12, 5 and following, Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. I want to tell you, let me tell you what we need to be doing as a church. We need to be praying fervently. That's what we need to be doing. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, guards in front of the door, watching over the prison. There was no way he was getting out right, wrong. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter's side, woke him up, saying, get up quickly. His chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, gird yourself, put on your sandals. He did so. He said to him, wrap your cloak around you, follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. You're talking about God opening doors. That's a literal example right there. And they went out and went along one street. Immediately the angel departed from him. He didn't want any thanks from a man because all he was doing was serving God. May we serve God the way that angel served the Lord. We don't need thanks from men. We just need the approval of God. And when Peter came to himself, I guess so. He about fell out. Don't you think so? He said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Do angels really serve God and do they really help God's people? Why don't you go ask Daniel? He was in the lion's den. That was one I didn't even read. Did I, did I read that? No, I didn't. Let's go back to that. That messes up the screens. I can't help it. Daniel 6. <laughs> Daniel went down into that. and He came out of that. And the king said, oh, Daniel, are you alive? Daniel spoke to the king. Oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. They have not harmed me in as much as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I've committed no crime. Do angels really serve God and help people? Ask Daniel. Ask Jesus. Ask Zacharias. Ask Peter. Yes, angels. Help the servants of God and angels are spiritual beings. Well, God is a spiritual being. Man is a spiritual being. Angels are spiritual beings. And demons are spiritual beings. Now, I'll go longer talking about demonic spirits later on. Not today. Let me just give you a couple of things. Demons serve Satan and harm man. Let's go back two weeks. No, one week. Mark chapter 5. Gerizim demoniac and just see how demons serve Satan and harm man they came to the other side of the sea Jesus and the disciples in the country of the Gerizims when he got out of the boat immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit that's a demon met him and he had his dwelling among the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore even with a chain because he had often been bound with shackles and chains the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. 
No one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Don't tell me demons don't serve Satan and don't tell me they don't harm people. Satan will one day deceive and destroy many people during the great tribulation Revelation 12, 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels, those are demons, were thrown down with him. Demons serve Satan and harm man. And now we come to this part. Christians must resist the devil and his demons. I'm going to tell you right now, this is not a game we're in. This is a war we're in. And you'd better get in the war. Well, this stuff scares me, Brother Steve. It shouldn't. Can you imagine a policeman afraid of the cars and the traffic. So he's standing on the curb, trembling. He's got a big pistol. He's got a badge. He's got a uniform. But this policeman standing over there, afraid. If I step out there, will they really stop? Do I have the authority to stop them? You say, Brother Steve, you've lost your mind. No, I haven't. You're describing yourself if you're a Christian and you're standing on the sidelines, not in the war. God doesn't want you to have a spirit of cowardice. You know what a policeman would do? He'd step off that curb, look that car right in his eye and say, stop. And guess what? They would stop because he's got that gun right there and he's got that badge right there. He's got all the authority a policeman can have. And guess what? When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he said, I have all authority. Go read about it in Matthew 8, 28, verse 18. And he gave us his authority. We'll read about that momentarily. And so we're supposed to resist the devil, not ignore him. This is not just for the preachers to do. This is for every Christian. If you've been saved five seconds, you have the authority to resist the devil. And he has to flee from a five-second, whatever that is, second-old <laughs> child of God. Let me give you my two favorite verses on this. James 4, 7, and 8. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will what? Flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw to you. Now just keep that up there. Notice on both sides of resisting, you're drawing near to God, right? You're going to submit, therefore, to God. And in that position, under Christ, you're going to resist the devil. You say, what do I say? Something like this. Satan, I resist you. Is that profound enough for you? Not trying to be a smart aleck. You don't, you don't have to invent anything. And you don't have to do a lot of talking. 
Just say, in the name of Jesus, through his shed blood, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God and the authority I have in Jesus Christ, I resist you from my family, from our church, and from what God is doing in my life. I resist you. I am submitted to God. I resist you. And then what's the, after we do that, we don't stay there long, then what do we do? Bible says <clears throat> that after we do that, we draw near to God and he will draw near to us. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But, say it out loud with me, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Every Christian has been commanded by God to resist the devil. Even a new Christian has spiritual authority to resist Satan. Jesus has all authority over Satan and over every demon. They tremble at him, and he has given every Christian that same authority. I'm telling you, he has deputized you. He has given you his authority. And demons cannot stand against the child of God who knows the authority that Christ has given him. He said, I don't see that in the Bible. It's because you hadn't looked. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus said, read it out loud with me. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Stop right there. He's not talking about snakes and bugs. He's talking about demons. Look at the rest of it. And over all the power of the enemy and nothing will what? Injure you. You don't have to worry about the devil injuring you. You just stand up in the whole armor of God and you say, I resist you from my family. I resist you from our church. And we need people praying like that in these days. We need that. We need you to get in the battle. Whenever the devil gives you a sinful thought, could be one of fear, could be one of anxiety, could be one of whatever, I've given you this before, but I'm adding one to it. First of all, recognize the lie. Put that on the screen if we have it. And just say, that's not of God. I, that doesn't line up with Scripture. So that's a lie. And the devil is a liar and the father thereof. And I'm not going to, I recognize it. That's a lie. So I'm going to resist it. I'm going to rebuke the lie. Secondly, I say, no, I resist that in the name of Jesus. I will not have that in my life. I will not believe that lie. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I'm going to replace the, the lie with Scripture. I'm going to replace the lie with Scripture. And whatever he tells you, if, he tells, if he's tempting you to be afraid, just say, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Just start quoting Scripture. And then after it's all over with, rejoice in the Lord. The Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And guess what? The devil doesn't want to be where God wants to be. When you start praising the Lord, God's presence shows up and the devil has to flee. Just start rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Just 
Have joy in your heart. Did you know you, if you rejoice, that means you've already joiced at least once, amen? You can't re-anything unless you've already done it. So you need to rejoice every day. Rejoice in the Lord and just go around praising God. God, I praise you. I worship you for your goodness. I praise you and I thank you for all that you've blessed me with. I'm telling you, if we'll live lives of praise, we'll live lives of power. Spirit world is real. God is a spiritual being. You are a spiritual being. Angels are spiritual beings. Demons are spiritual beings. It's time to wake up and to live in the realm of the spirit. Martin Luther in the 1500s wrote one of the most wonderful songs about the spirit world. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man, capital M, on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. He must win the battle. And though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us. We will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers. No thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sided. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever and forever and forever. Give him praise right now. Hallelujah. Let's all stand up. Amen. Amen.